0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Something Something podcast. My name is Eric Kasloff, and with me, as always, is Larry Sands. How's it going, Larry?
1: Everything is good, Eric. Everything is really great. Um, You know, we got a lot of great stuff going on personally, like individually, and then especially with our show. We're branching out.
0: We totally are.
1: We, we we really are. We're, we're talking with a really good friend of ours. Uh, could we mention it? Yeah. Should we? Uh, with Miriam? Yeah. Okay. We, so we met Miriam. She's Miriam the Medium, Miriam um with uh, the Something About the Unknown podcast, our, our paranormal podcast. And um, we're doing a collaboration, which is a call-in show. And that's starting up, uh fairly soon probably in the next couple weeks so be sure to check out our instagram but see it's really cool because like you know we had her as part of our our horror film festival and paranormal investigation and um we did a a great uh, uh q a with her and she was like you know i would love to talk more about like um i guess it would be the spiritual side of what she does
0: exactly that's what from what she's saying yeah yeah
1: yeah so i'm super excited but i'm i'm really excited because we're gonna be able to take call-ins yeah this is gonna be a lot of fun it's gonna be super good super good um and we've got we just had uh, a meeting a couple nights ago with a playhouse yes that that we're going to be working with, we're going to be doing a fundraiser for mm-hmm. them, uh, and that's all I'll say. It's going to be yeah. super cool. It's going to we be. We can't cool. but, say
0: much else yet.
1: But I, we can say if if I can. You're writing.
0: Yeah, I am writing an audio drama, which is yeah. really different apart from the ninety five other things that I'm doing, like <laughs> working on a script, editing a movie. Now wow. we're adding this. The book I wanted to do is on complete hold right now oh. because there's too much other stuff going on as well as editing a bunch of podcasts. So yeah. And,
1: and the, and the horror movie. So well, I said
0: editing the horror movie. Yeah.
1: Oh, you did. <laughs> I lost that one, but man, we got, we got a lot of great stuff and we're super blessed and, um, I can't believe that it's almost like the end of the year.
0: Yeah. I'm depressed about that. It really like, Oh my God, the year's over.
1: I know. What are we going to do next year? Cause this year we had, we had our pod we had our, our we hopefully our just thing.
0: relax and recover from this year,
1: <laughs> but we got to keep pressing on baby. And we are, yeah. we are, it's good. It's good. Um, very rarely do we talk off, off mic anymore sometimes you know it's it's weird that, because, that's the lie we talk every day well well but but we hold stuff for the show sometimes not we anymore just, really i know but but sometimes you're just like no i don't want to talk about that because it would be yeah. good for the show right but yeah um you know eric as a writer what what are some of the things that that make you excited because you know as as a writer and a filmmaker is it two different things or the same thing it's
0: the same i think that you know since i write direct and edit it's all one to me i mean if you're writing and directing the movie you might as well edit it because nobody's gonna know the movie as well as you
1: yeah yeah that's what that's what i was kind of thinking because it's really um you're like the captain of your own ship yeah you know the captain the deckhand the navigator of, yeah. of this whole thing um but if if there's anything that that you realize as a creative person doing both filmmaking and writing books what would it be
0: they are completely different worlds okay you now there's they're not similar at all writing a You know, since I was trained in writing screenplays, I know that structure and format. Mm -hmm. Writing a novel or a novella, to me, it's like going from only knowing how to drive an automatic car to driving a stick shift. You know, you got to
1: relearn a lot of things. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hey, speaking of writing. That's exactly what I was going to say. You know, we have... A really great—he's a filmmaker, and he is a writer. He's a director, and he has a really cool graphic novel. Yes, that is out. And um, I guess I'll—I'll—I'll I'll, I'll ask. Uh, and see, this is one thing that I love about the show is when we get people on like this, and like I can ask, like all my questions about the creativity pro- process, especially with a graphic novel. Um, but let's let's bring on, David, are you there?
2: Hey, guys.
1: Hi, how are you, David? Hey, David, David. thanks for coming on today.
2: My pleasure, man, thanks for having me. Good, hey,
1: absolutely, thanks for coming on. Um, David Towner, you are a writer, director, and now a writer. Or you're the creator, really, hey, of, a, yeah. of a new graphic novel.
2: Yeah, yeah. So it started off kind of with the same background as you guys. Um, I'm a screenwriter primarily. Um, and what happened was I got the inspiration for the story back in 2009. I sat down, started, you know, the format that I know is uh, is screenwriting. And when I realized this thing was going to be 600 pages long, I knew there's no way under God's green earth, that anybody's going to look at a first-time writer with a 600-page screenplay, <laughs> let alone. So, what I decided was is best best in an episodic format. So, I broke it down into 24 separate. Uh, I call them chapters, and and still now, subsequently, we're we're calling each novel a chapter. I'm kind of a creative thing I decided to do. Um, So chapter one emergence is kind of the the origin story. And then subsequently, some of the stories tie together, some of them are, are separate stories that could stand alone. But what I'm doing is launching each of them as a uh, independent novel, at least you know 30 to 70 pages, and then annually we'll do a, a compilation. So every three months we're doing one, so we'll have four per year. So we'll do a compilation of those four. Now, sometimes the four all tie in, it's the same storyline, but sometimes they'll switch like chapter one and two that we just uh, released, they're tied together. But then chapter three, which is called Sisterhood, because it highlights some of the more um, feminine components, it's it's actually a female centric series. So I so that one's going to be separate. But I, I had to go back and create a transition, knowing it was episodic. So at the end of two, it does transition into third and explains a little why only the only the ladies are are present in the uh, in the story. So yeah, it started off as a screenplay. It became a completely new format for me. I had never done a graphic novel. And but what what again I was thinking episodic television right, but yeah. then I realized yeah. the the visuals that we were creating just in the direction were incredible. So my my guys you know my characters start off in, in um, you know the 16th century fighting the Spanish. It quickly um, within five or seven pages it transitions to a modern story, but they do transition back to Miklan, which is the underworld where the god of war withdraws them. It, it's a completely a combo of narrative fiction versus using the theology of the Aztecs as, as a comprehensive storyline. So, so where it is, it is fictional, but, um, but we still go back and cover some of the historic elements. So the, the reality is it it's people can read it and it's very entertaining, but at the same time, they're going to extract little bits of some factual knowledge and some theological knowledge of the Aztecs and other indigenous characters as well. that
1: is super awesome you've got my cash
2: yeah yeah, all right
1: (laughs) and you know actually i love love how you're doing the different chapters yeah yeah. because it calls to i don't know if you've like what now okay i i know kurt sutter did a lot of stuff before sons of anarchy but i took notice of him during sons of anarchy and now you know with the mayans and stuff obviously he's you know whatever but he did a really good job uh and obviously like this has probably gone on for years and ages but i finally caught on realizing that you know like the first couple episodes would be about one storyline then you bring another and then somehow they all mesh further down the line so i think that's brilliant um and maybe this is a crazy question. Does that happen in graphic novels a lot?
2: You know what? I'm actually not a graphic novel expert. The, the few I've read, it doesn't happen. More, more, most graphic novels are not um, long-term series like ours. A lot of them are single stories, you know, more compilation, 100 pages, 200 pages. But the ones, I'm not I'm not even sure if I can name one that's <laughs> a series like ours, but the, the two things happen. One is I didn't want to create a comic book format because the visuals... Our artist, if you check out our Facebook page and our website, the artist created such tremendous visuals. I didn't want to degrade the quality of the artwork to put it in a comic format. So um, so what what I've another thing I've done, which is is, it's something that happened after the fact. So after when I was researching, I came across a prophecy from Crazy Horse, who was a Lakota elder and, and warrior four days before his death. He said, "I envision a time in seven generations, and if you if you fast forward from his death in 1877 to seven generations, it lands us to right now today." So oh. my story. Um, so I'm going to bring two parallels in talking about two stories coming yeah. to meet each other. So the Aztecs in my story that I originally wrote, it was essential that they emerge on the 500th anniversary of the fall of their of their empire, which would which was 1521, August 13, 1521 bringing us to august thirteenth, twenty 2021 so one i had to scramble to get this book released for then but a second thing i did was parallel intersect two storylines where exactly at the same time frame um crazy horse prophesized that that the as he called it the red people but he's referring to indigenous people they would all unite and they would become a blessing for a sick world now i took that literally and meant a sick world so guess what crazy coincidence when our warriors emerge in august 13th 2021 um there's a Lassa virus pandemic going on so that's Whoa. their first their first mission is to solve this pandemic so a lot of people think oh this guy wrote this because you know COVID." Right. it's actually a 12 year old story that i wrote wow. and then so, so what we did was I, I had to rewrite some of the stories to combine um, other indigenous tribes into um, collaboration with the Aztecs. So if you read chapter two, I did it pretty quickly because I didn't want to wait you know, six or eight down the road. I wanted to incorporate it. Chapter two is the introduction to, um, of Lakota, Cherokee, Navajo, and, um, and who's, I think, yeah, I think that's, oh, well, we actually have Rani Durgavati who's a Hindu uh, queen as well and Shaka Zulu who's the African Whoa. king. So they're all come together in chapter 2 for this mutual um, mutually beneficial um, mission to to help the world help rid the world of this illness. Now the Navajo nation become the heroes in this story too because they're willing to fight our you know our um, our nemesis, our evil villain, Adrian Volkov, who is a Russian oligarch, and um, and and they have no fear of this guy. In fact, the funny story is, um, <laughs> one of the Navajo elders says, "Well, um, you can you can you can ho- hold your uh, materials here, which which is actually a, a vaccine for the pandemic. Um, you can hold them here." And um, one of the characters says, "Do you think Volkov will find us here?" And then one of the other characters, on behalf of the Navajo, say, "God help them if they do." So. It, it's a, it's a so it in, in intertwined in our entire series are not only the the core Aztec and Inca warriors, but also these spirit guides who are mostly from American Indian and, and international tribes that try and trying to incorporate um, knowledge so people can go, Oh wow, who was Shaka Zula? That's part of my uh, objective is to in, inspire people to learn more about who these people yes. were. Ronnie Durgavati. Uh, for example, was a um, a Hindu uh, uh, Indian uh, warrior queen who was an incredible woman, super brave. She died on the battlefield. She actually committed suicide in order not to allow her enemies to have the satisfaction of being responsible for her death on the wow. battlefield. And she's a real character. You know, um, in our story, those people return um, as spirit guides. Um, we have I created this um, spirit world tribal council, and they're the ones who get to decide in the spirit world who returns and for what missions and, and what they're allowed to do and, and the parameters of their assistance to the uh, Aztec warrior. So so if you read this series, you'll be blown away. But, and again, I'm not trying to stick, I don't know what other graphic novels have done because I, again, I've always been of the, of the mindset too. Um, my film I did last year, Totally out of the box. I mean, it's it's an experimental, like a John Waters type comedy. Oh, low budget, experimental, goofy, but really, really well received by the right audiences. You know, obviously, some people were not. Not it was it's it's an edgy comedy. I'll say that. But I've always I've always tried to um, stay in my lane and use my own mind versus trying to format, you know, the the Hollywood formula of you gotta have a romantic interest and all that. I, I, you know, I'd rather have nobody watch my film than to, than to make it formulaic. So I, I've always tried to do my own thing and people seem to be responding to it. And another cool thing about the series, maybe it's because of that, and maybe it's just successful because it's, it's not formulaic, is that we have an audience who is non-traditional. I mean, we have the core comic you know guys, the superhero guys that love it. That's probably half our audience, but we have people that just love the artwork, love the indigenous theme, love the knowledge that they're gaining. So so it's a, a secondary benefit to me that I have this um, big audience that came together for various reasons each you know group has their own reasons for liking it but but so maybe it's because I was non-traditional in my approach to it I've really attracted I mean we have 70 year old women who send me emails like oh my god I love the artwork I can't wait to see wow. more. she buys the book because she loves the art we have you know obviously indigenous theme people are really um, have a thirst for knowledge of, of indigenous people now as they should mm-hmm. um, and that's one of my goals not wasn't my objective sorry setting out but I think if if writers think beyond their own demographic they can create opportunities for people beyond that like Stan Lee created um, uh, Wakanda he created this entire world that's created opportunities for tens of thousands of people of color and I think that's not only do we have an obligation to do that it should obviously happen organically but I think if you have the power the control to create something why stick to only what you know and right. you know the, the way i say it is if white white guys only create white characters then they're only creating opportunities for other white guys and right. and, I, and again i'm not i wouldn't encourage anybody to set out to you know oh i gotta i gotta do this or that to fit any yeah. check any boxes but at the same time if you can create if you have an imagination it's not that hard to think of things that that um, that are beyond your world and 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 at the end of the day it benefits me because I get to explore worlds I never knew you know I get to explore cultures I never knew languages I never knew so so it's super super exciting to me and it's I, I hate to I don't want to discredit anything I've done before but this the Aztec warrior god is is my favorite project I've ever done. wow
1: I I and actually before you know it is being creative I think um obviously it comes from our heart and it comes from a truth and i think i may get in trouble i may get whatever but i think when you when you create something and you don't put parameters on it you don't you know you kind of let it write itself in a way you know um and 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 i say this as a non-writer but reading something you know obviously as a reader um like i i guess i'm a slow reader because i i'm i can i like visualize whatever but being able to visualize what i'm reading and it doesn't really you know unless somebody goes oh you know this is for a black uh character or right 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 you know a hispanic character yeah and then but 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 you pick up on things and you go oh man i was reading it and it and it seemed like that i'm sorry they go oh no i didn't mean to write it like that but right, it, right. as a creative person you have to i think you are obligated to kind of listen to yourself yep and and do what you know to do whether that would be right for other people and races and that's the whole thing about being creative i don't think you should you should feel obligated to write one way i, right, don't, right think, of
2: course. Yeah, yeah. I don't
1: i don't think so Um, but now, so, but that just popped into my
2: head. Uh, I think part of the, part of the creative process should be, um, to me, it's more interesting when you're exploring something beyond what, you know, you know, people say, write What, you know, that sounds to me to be a nightmare. That sounds (laughs) like the most boring Thing I could think of why would I write what I know I want to go out and learn something new so yeah. the great so this project specifically I've learned a lot about Mesoamerican cultures I've learned I've learned a lot of the language of, of Nahuatl I've learned the, the pronunciations who has that knowledge I mean what an opportunity for me what a blessing for yeah. me plus at the same time simultaneously when not if this becomes a film or a series I have created thousands of potential opportunities for people that otherwise would not have had that, you know. Yeah. So yeah. so it's, it's a win-win. It's an opportunity, not a mandate, but an opportunity for, right. for writers and creators as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and looking at your website, which, by the way, where will the link be air? Links
0: will be in the description if you're listening in on Inker.
1: Yes and and for those listening on the podcast and they have their phone in their hand go to com and check out the artwork that 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 just it speaks to you and it's just there's really no words cuz it's just really good and beautiful
2: Yeah thanks man And you can see why I wouldn't want to degrade that to a comic format, you know, that type of degraded paper colors.
1: And, and that is the thing too, because, you know, people, I think it's whether it's right or wrong. And Eric, I know he loves comic books, but I, and I know what you're talking about because you don't want to say, you know, I have a comic book and people automatically think, Oh, it's kind of like Batman or Spider-Man or any other comic book. You're like, no, not really. It's, it's, it's kind of like, Uh, a higher form of of art right and so i absolutely get it and and i can see absolutely just from your website what it what it looks like and what it represents right and i mean man unbelievable Uh, and i would say this too um Oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Man, I had it too. You're
2: speechless, man. <laughs>
1: I I actually I am speechless cuz it's so good. Um oh, that's what I was going to say. And, and kind of like as I was asking Eric earlier, I'll ask the same for you, David, is since you don't know what you don't know writing right. a graphic novel, was it easier to write your graphic novel?
2: Well, so here's, here's, (laughs) that's a, it's very difficult. Uh, You know, people look at a graphic novel or a comic and think, oh my God, this looks so easy. It's way harder than a screenplay, way harder than a novel, because you have to understand that. You have a certain amount of cells, or you know, I, uh, as a writer, you want to just talk, 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 right? But you can't do that in a graphic novel. You have to understand that part of the story is being told by the visuals. So, so I'm very fortunate because my collaborators, who are two a brother sister art t- artist team in Mexico. They, they have done this before. So I was able to write it much like a TV episode with extensive visual descriptions. They, they will, they went back. And so it's a very lazy thing. And I have to admit, I didn't do it. Um, I just, I basically, I wrote TV episodes with a lot of direction and a lot of visuals, sent it to them. They're the ones they break it down. They extract the visual elements. They create the cells. I'm so lucky to have these guys, man. They are a blessing. Not only are they Incredible artist, but they understand the format and actually are way proficient at it. Mm. So, so if you set out to do this by yourself and you weren't trained, it, it's very difficult. I mean, it, it's you know, it's it's I can't even explain it. When they send me the redone script, so I send them a thirty-page script, it becomes a hundred pages because of the way they have to structure the dialogue and sell one, sell oh. two. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Because do you, I have a lot of respect for them? Do,
1: when you when you send it off? Okay, so. Let's start when when you first sent it off and yep. you had this 30 pages and it comes back as like this giant yeah novel thing were you what were, what was your first thought
2: My first thought is thank god I found these people because <laughs> it would be almost like if you wrote a novel and then somebody said, hey, I want to make this a film, send me a screenplay, you would be absolutely lost. But I would say it's even more complex than that because there are visual references that you have to comply with too. So it would be it would be as difficult as a novel is trying to write a screenplay and turn it around. So if you sent the novel to somebody and they turned around a screenplay for you in a couple of weeks, once you receive the screenplay, you would, you realize, okay, I couldn't have done it myself. And that's the same thing even now. I mean, I have no interest in learning it after seeing what they did because I'm more, I'm more of a big picture, a creative type person. I cannot stand the minutia of formatting and all that. <laughs> and luckily, luckily I found somebody else that does like it because it, once I realized the complexity of it, I realized this is, this is not an element I want to tackle on my own. That's mm. cool. That's cool. Um,
1: and you mentioned early on in, in the interview, you, you'd started 12 years ago.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So what happened was I I spent a lot of time in Mexico, but one time I had a couple spare days, a weekend that I had a meeting on Monday and I had the weekend free. So I I, looking around for things to do. And I found this Aztec journey. That's what it was called. It's a three day. You go watch people doing archeological things and it was really cool. And then I started as over the course of a couple of days, I started learning the mystery of the Aztecs. These people, and, and again, I, uh, to, to this point, I'm almost a scholar of these people. So <laughs> sometime around the 13th century, maybe late 12th century, they started, they're nomadic, they started in the north. And, and in my story, and some people disagree on where Aslan was, which was that was their origin, southwestern United States, or, um, or northern Mexico, we know that their language category is similar to a lot of southwestern u.s indians like the hopi same Mm -hmm. classification of language so it's likely they're closely related to that group but Mm -hmm. they traveled for a long time literally generation after generation coming from the north to the south they were rejected they were you know people were like get away they basically treated them like peasants and didn't want Mm -hmm. to interact with them so we know this is this happened and then they finally um, so Witzel this is the theological uh, story, is that he told them, you know you will find your home when you see, and this is why the Mexican flag has this image, there will be a bird of prey, an eagle, perched upon a cactus, it will be holding a serpent, and if you look at the, the, the Mexican flag, that's the, that's the symbol, so Witzel the god of war, gave them this directive, so they wander until they see this when they see this, they are in, you know, where the Tenochtitlan, which is the capital they eventually built. So they, and so basically they created uh, a capital there and within, A few generations, they went from, so that's another thing is nobody knows how many people there were, but you could feasibly think millions of people weren't walking, you know, in this group. So the original founders were the Tenochtitlan. They were the ones who founded Tenochtitlan. But ultimately, and this is something most people don't know, the Aztec Empire was not a culture. It was not a tribe. It was an alliance of multiple tribes. Really? yeah. So the Tlacopan and the um, Texcoco were the other two major tribes in this triple alliance. So, so when they started, they were just on their own, but they started going out and finding, you know, um, well, I wouldn't say like-minded. Some of it was not by my choice. You know, <laughs> some of it that it is, you know, it was a lot, they're a very warring and, and, um, and um, conflicted um, group. And, and that's another crazy thing about these people that fascinated me was, they're known for their brutality and human sacrifice, which they did do. There's no doubt about that. The crazy thing though, most of the sacrifices were volunteers. And, and secondly, in addition, you know, that's their legacy and right, likely, you know, right, rightly so that they're known for that because that's a pretty, pretty significant characteristic of a culture. But, um, but, but people don't understand how, how brilliant they were they were a very very progressive society where women could be soldiers women could be warriors women could be cooks women could be business owners women could be anything they wanted to be um they had arts councils they had public concerts they had petting zoos i mean a society that was not only larger than london coexisting at the same time but much more progressive and um and tolerant of, of, you know, I would say, um, more liberal approaches to to life. So, um, so all of these things and their tremendous um, architecture and agricultural advancements, all of this stuff has been lost for a couple reasons. One is the brutality of the of the culture kind of outweighs, you know, it's the more interesting aspect, but also, the the history of indigenous people is always told by the conquerors you know they didn't have the opportunity to sit down and go here's what we were all about the mm-hmm. spanish told the story and that's of course the same thing that happened in the united states you know all the apaches are warmongering right. savages and you know that became the narrative for hundreds of years and that's why people are now becoming more enlightened to the realities of these cultures that that, that doesn't tell the whole story. Um, so I became super fascinated with this culture that was so misunderstood, but also rose to power, I mean, overnight. So they, they settled you know, in the 13th century, 200 years later, there's 7 million plus people, some estimate as many as 10 million people. But then again, almost overnight, back down to zero. I mean, it, it went from, um, you know, this massive culture. Now we know a lot of it. And another mistaken um, presumption is that the Spanish came in and beat them. Well, the Spanish only had about 400 soldiers and a few horses, they couldn't have done anything against millions of people. What the Spanish did was they went out and recruited other indigenous cultures with whom the Aztecs had already had conflicts. Wow. So that became their army secondarily, as many as 80% of the population lost their lives due to smallpox. Um, And the irony is that this is an attestment to how the um, conquerors, their mentality, is they justified what they did, obviously, because, you know, we're better than them, and we need to teach them. But they took advantage of the hospitality the Aztecs welcomed them and and welcomed them in and thought maybe these are even like deities you know thought these these people were um look like looked like some gods they had worshipped and maybe that's what these people are let's give them a chance brought them in and they took advantage of them they took uh Montezuma um prisoner. And then they, they were able to fight them off the first time. But that's when the Spanish left for a while, came back with bigger forces and, and, and started overtaking. So on August thirteenth, and this is within two years of the first introduction to the to the Spanish, they had overthrown then and brought down the um, the capital now they had built this capital city on a lake it's tremendous agriculture and aqueduct systems i mean it's it's amazing the things they were able to accomplish the spanish destroyed it immediately the spanish you know drained the lakes and and destroyed everything destroyed a lot of their architecture but what but the fascinating thing to me was basically they had a 200 year run rapid rise rapid decline And what I did as a writer, I started thinking, well, how could that happen? So, you know, you know, 7 million people, 7 million bodies weren't laying on the ground from war and smallpox. So what happened to them? In my mind, what I did was I created a a scenario in which Witzel who was the god of war, who obviously um, was a manifestation of their mind to justify the human sacrifice and stuff. He comes down and says, this is enough. This is a prophecy. You're not going to live like this anymore. He puts an end to the battle, summons the power of the sun, blows up the battlefield, withdraws the remaining survivors into the underworld to redeem themselves. So he brings them to Miklan and says, you have a 500 years from today. Upon 500 years, you will emerge. These are the people who will emerge. Granted 13 people immortality. And what he said was at the at the end of the 500 years, you will emerge to make the world a better place, you will be the guide, you will be the counsel to the rest of the world. And see, and that also goes in line with what, what, now he never met them, because they were gone 300 years before his existence. But Crazy Horse had the exact same philosophy. Now, my, my, um, my narrative is obviously created by me. But he simultaneously had the same idea that on this date, then all of us will unite as, as indigenous people and make the world a better place. So I combined both storylines.
0: Wow.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. So I came, I came up with this story and um and what happened was again, I started sitting down and that's what led me to starting writing a screenplay. And it, I realized way too much content here and it's more appropriate for episodic. And that brings us to where we were. Now, another interesting thing is, It was essential to me that I had Mexican artists, not only to for the authenticity of the artwork, but I thought it was the right thing to do. You know, if I'm going to tell a story about um, Mesoamerica, I should incorporate as many people from that culture as possible. So currently, 100% of the people working on this project are in those demographics, and I'm proud of that. But um, what happened was I could not find a man. I looked. I, you know, I wanted to stick to it. I found some great American artists, but I thought I still wanna stick to that original idea of of having Mexicans involved. And it took me, so keep in mind, the deadline is approaching. It's essential to my story that August 13th, 2021, it's called Emergence (laughs) for a Reason. They emerge into the modern world. And and, um, I had to hit that deadline. So luckily, um, 2020, I found these two, this brother and sister, Diego and Carla Lopez Mata. In Guanajuato, and they say stepped up and they sent me their samples. It was incredible. I was like, "This is absolute blessing." Awesome. I mean, this is wow. either divine intervention from from the Mesoamerican gods or some other force, but <laughs> something put them in my lap. Ten months later, we met the deadline within a week and got the book published and released.
1: Wow! Awesome. Yeah,
2: incredible, huh?
1: Holy, that—that's the stuff, man. That like legends are made of. Exactly. You know? mm-hmm. That's absolutely amazing. And I tell you what, you know, actually, Eric and I talk about this all the time, probably, but things do work out.
2: Yeah, absolutely. They work out
1: when they're supposed to. And when they're supposed to work out, that's even better than when we tried to push and, you know, all that other stuff. That's absolutely absolutely amazing. Let me
2: me tell you another crazy thing that happened. So we we started working on this um, May 28th, 2020. And um, so this, well, the two things happen. One is they sent me the original art, which is the very first thing we posted on Facebook. I put it up. We're still, I'm still, you know, fine tuning the the text to print all that the way we needed it to be. I put it up on a Wednesday, I think. And on Monday, I said, oh, let me check that Facebook page. I had 50,000 followers without even trying. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Then Then let me tell you something else that happened crazy. Nobody knows this. To this day, you're the first guys that know this. My artists don't even know it. In September, I was diagnosed with cancer. I
1: oh had kidney goodness.
2: cancer. Yep. So get so here's the crazy story. It all worked out. I I want I wanted this story so much that I wanted this project to happen so much I didn't even tell the artist. I went, I, uh, I scheduled my surgery on, on one day the next morning. I had my kidney removed. I went out, I went the next day. I checked out of the hospital, never lost communication with them. Yeah. Okay. So talk about the perseverance. And when something's meant to happen, I, I you know, keep in mind, this has been 12 years. There was nothing going to stop me from, from making this happen because I didn't want to even tell them because I didn't want that, that karma to enter their minds, you know, like that negativity. Wow. So, yeah. So, so it was a, it was obstacles put in our way, but at the same time, um, you know, so from the time of my diagnosis to um, six weeks later, kidney's gone, I'm healthy, rough couple of months, I won't lie. But as far as me communicating with them, nothing changed. I mean, we, uh, wow. it, it, we didn't miss a beat. Yeah. So it was meant to be, and it, and it's, and so that's my, um, my sign that it's meant to be long-term, especially the fact that, um, that we caught the cancer in time and all that. Wow. David, How are you that, now? What's that? How are you now? Oh, perfect, man. I got. I got. Oh, I get. Okay. Stand. Yeah. So, 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 I was um had the kidney removed November eleventh, two thousand twenty, which was my anniversary and also Veterans Day. I, I I went to the VA. That's who diagnosed me. So, oh, anybody again, that criticizes thank, VA thank healthcare, thank you for your service. Yeah, by you the it, way, brother. I
0: forgot to say that to you. Yeah, thank that's okay.
2: You. Well, you know what? That's another funny thing. People. So the only, I never go to the doctor, never taken a prescription in my life. I've been always healthy. I had digestive problems. My wife insisted I go to the VA. They found it first day. They, I mean, the first day I went. So yeah. So anybody criticizes the VA, maybe it's just an anomaly here that in Palm Beach, Florida, they're incredible. But man, I got to tell you what, they they saved me. Wow.
1: Absolutely. That, that just makes, I mean, that just makes your story even more... Sweet, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, you know, and yeah. it's a beautiful. It's it's a story. See, that's the thing about creative people; they persevere, and yeah. and when there's something that needs to be done, we just do it.
2: Yep, absolutely. No like what. like on a low budget, films that you just do what has to be exactly. done. Absolutely,
1: man. If I need to hold a
2: monitor and a and a light. I'm doing it. If I need to, yeah. <laughs> if I need to, if I need to sew a wardrobe, I'm sewing it, you know what I mean? Whatever it takes, man.
1: And it sounded like us. We just yeah. grabbed it, whatever yeah. we had. Of course. Way. That's absolutely. Oh, so, okay. So this, this graphic novel obviously is, would, would you say, and, and you, you've done things before, right? we yeah. How did you get your start? How did what got you interested in the entertainment industry?
2: Okay. Uh, good story. I, I, as a kid, I had the opportunity to work in a, in some films and television shows. Um, I did my first feature film early teens. I can't remember, maybe fourteen years old, and that's when I, I fell in love with films. Then um, it was a really uh, it was a series, a PBS series called The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn this was, they were feature film lengths, but they were episodic again. Oh. Um, and I was on set with Lillian Gish. Um, wow. The director was Peter Hunt, an English guy. Patrick Day was, played Huckleberry Finn. And I played oh. this, you know, little character. Um, but, but the funny thing is, it's, it was a great experience, but also an introduction into what the film industry is like. I had, I had these, I was one of the few people in this little town that, that was picked out of the masses and got to be in the film and actually had dialogue. And guess what? I went to the premiere and I thought, Oh man, I'm going to be so famous. You know, I'm like 14 <laughs> years old. Guess what? All the scenes were gone. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, I was in the background a little bit, but the scenes were gone and I was expecting like, Oh, people are going to come up to me. Cause so I also did some plays, you know, college, uh, high school, college plays, um, community theater. And I absolutely loved it. But at the same time was smart enough to know, the success rate in that industry is almost zero. I mean, it's as close to zero as any industry could get, right? So I decided to go in the army, um, build up some businesses, I've been real lucky with that, um, has some successful businesses, and I still do. And those are what fund my projects. And, and my objective is three years, I'll retire and do just do film and television. And again, on my own terms, as yeah. a hobby, if it turns into a a career, that's great. But uh, ultimately, it's just to me, it's just about creating. And like the film I did last year, no studio would ever touch that. And if you watch it, you'll see why it's just edgy. It's actually based on sketch comedy um, uh, scripts that I wrote. Yeah. So it's just goofy. Um, I play a character in it. It's one of my comedic characters. I, I love it. I love doing it. So it's about the experience to me, not about being a business. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong, where they lose their way that, that they think, uh, oh, I'm going to make it as an actor, if you approach it like that, that yeah. you're going to make a bunch of money, you're, you're never going to, you might be successful, you know, you might be the one out of a million that's financially successful, but I don't think you'll ever be fulfilled. I, I, I think if I did that, and you know, the the Quentin Tarantino story with um, Natural Born Killers, the way that script turned out, and the yeah. selling it basically out of desperation, I mean, that that's the nightmare scenario for me, where You have this baby that you created over years. It would be like if I were in LA right now trying to pay the rent and I just licensed Aztec warrior God to somebody for five grand Mm. because I needed to pay a bill. You know, I never wanted to be in a position like that. And now I'm not. And actually I've turned down a lot of offers and people are really surprised. They're like, what, what are you, you're you're not going to entertain this. And I'm like, no, no, it's not, not what I want to do. And we've been offered to be, um, that our characters become components of another series. I don't want to say, you know, what, what specifically, but that's not what I want to oh. do. I mean, this, you know, I've built this, this story is complex enough. The background's start strong enough. The origin stories are strong enough that each of these characters, I don't want to be part of a series. We want to be, be a new series. I think we're creating our new marvels. We're creating our new... Wow. Um, Justice League I mean you know we have you know when, when you really get into the story and 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 you'll understand why I mean these are very very complex storylines that can sustain a very long franchise so that's what I'm trying to build is, is a standalone franchise that can be uh can be its own Black Panther can be its own Wonder Woman wow yeah yeah and to go
1: back to people not understanding they really don't because this is like you know uh, i mean eric and i we maybe talked about it briefly about like hillsborough road and what it would look like if you know if it did blow up and yeah, all yeah. That other stuff and you know sometimes you have like throwaway if you're lucky enough to have a throwaway project yeah, absolutely i'll just yeah. do whatever yeah, right? but but when you live with something so long i think and 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 you know, just like every creative, everybody we've ever talked to, you have to have you have to have a real job. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah to to fuel your your passion project. Yep. And a lot of times your passion project is you as a creative person sitting there, you go from one job, you come home, and you edit all night. You write all night, and then you go back to your and and people don't understand. Why would you walk away from, from X amount of dollars or X amount of this? No. Because no matter what they tell you, they will do. Just like you found out, you are you were in the movie. You yeah, spent exactly. how many no. days? And yep. you went and you're like, where, where am I?
2: Exactly will right. around
1: yep. and they'll be like, oh yeah, we brought we, oh, we yeah. bought that and we were going to do that. Yeah, but yeah, they course. go, hey, 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 you don't have a say so anymore.
2: Exactly right. Yep.
1: That's the deal. And right. that... That, I think, is the biggest horror story. Right. And, you know, when you listen, when, when you watch behind the musics. Yeah, you yeah, know, exactly. When yep. you watch behind the scenes on on Entertainment Tonight and all these things, I people just don't get it. But those are the stories that create Hollywood. Right, right. Create dreams.
2: And another problem. So I think um, if you create something for the creativity of it, if it has financial success, that's a blessing. The problem with the industry today is studios don't do that. They're looking, they have actuaries that determine like, what's this going to make no okay. matter what there's, you know, and, and again, they have to do that, of course, they're putting up big money, and I don't blame them for that. But at the same time, from a creative perspective, that's not there. Those are two very contradicting um, uh, philosophies, you know, one is, I want my story to be told, but the but the guy on the other end thinking, I need this to make money. And those those are yeah. so so of course, you know, ultimately, if you want to make a living at it, you got to comply with some of those, you're never going to create your own. Know, but again, I'm shoot, I don't care if I. we're very, very happy doing what we're doing. And this stays a book series forever. That's fine with me, too, because people really, really love it. I mean, we have we have over 1.7 million fans just on Facebook. I mean, we're wow. we're doing really, really well. Yeah, I would, Wait. I would, I would guess. I don't know the numbers, but I would guess that. And listen, we don't even have distribution. We we're self-distributing, self-publishing. So I would guess that we're up there with. Well, I know some of the um, independent stores that we've talked to tell us that that we outsell, you know, the big guys. So I, I really? presume that's yeah, that's yeah,
1: that's yeah.
2: Yeah, I know. One, I mean, one. I would say we outsold a major release by seven hundred percent. I know that for wow. sure. So, yeah, I don't have a frame of reference for what what their numbers are, but I know we're very happy where we are.
1: Nice. Oh, wait. What is that? I think I hear Hollywood calling on your phone. Because, <laughs> yeah, right.
2: yeah. because,
1: and and here's this is the ultimate thing: is if you're proven you can make money at doing what you want to do, then you have more leverage. To
2: do what you want to do. Exactly. Right. And, yeah. and you have the uh, the ability to walk away. And I have. We've had, listen, we've had, the, there's studios that have approached us. Unfortunately, um, again, they want to pitch us to other existing ideas and like, oh, but you'll have so much momentum going into it. The problem is you'll get lost there. You know, right. we'll get lost in there. And there's no going back from that. Once you, once Amashli, who's our main our main Aztec warrior, once he gets put into another series of ensemble careful not to say which one, but it yeah. once he's lost into this ensemble, how do you extract him back out and make his own story? I don't think exactly. that's ever been done. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't, so I'm not even going that route. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I it's 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 brilliant. And I, I tell you, the the stuff that that you have right here, right now, is absolutely amazing. Oh thanks Very man. Much. And and to hear, because I was gonna ask about your publishing. So yep. you self publish this?
2: Yeah. So um, I, I I didn't approach many publishers. One is is graphic novel is is hard. I mean, you know, you got a very few people that are that are um, that are knowledgeable about it, or that even approach would even consider that. Um, and so I decided to self-publish on my own. The thing that surprised me was the lack of interest in distributors because keep in mind, so we heavily appeal to the Latino population. You know, we, um, we, uh, you know, and I, I write everything in English and Spanish. So we have, so if you just take that demographic, that's 600 million people in the Americas alone. So you would think that somebody would, and listen, every single day, I get 50 to 100 people emailing I am where can I get this? Where can I get the physical copy in, in Mexico? Where can I get the, where can I get a printed copy in, in Argentina? It, 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 and, they, and you can't, because obviously we can't be shipping them there. And, and again, again, I, I don't, I'm not being critical. That's fine if people want to wait and see the business model first and see how things go. But we only launched this thing eight weeks ago. So I'm, I'm still not, mm. you know, I'm not that anxious, but at the same time, I do feel bad for them that these are our fans, the, the products being created in Mexico and then we can't get it to the people in Mexico. That's it's pretty crazy. crazy. But but from a digital perspective on um, Apple Books, man, it's blowing up, it's, it's crazy. And in the US, the printed copies we sell on our website in a couple of independent stores, Unbelievable! I mean, unprecedented success. So we're really happy with that. But but I have been really surprised at the the you know that people are dragging their feet in on the uh, distribution side. So we started doing our own distribution. We're bulk shipping to different stores and and um and then we're fine to do that again. You know, but the digital. So we're very fortunate that the digital world allows us at this point to self-publish and um and we sell man. I mean, tens of thousands. I mean, I in these different wow. platforms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we had, we had 40,000 pre-orders just for emergence. We had 40,000 pre-orders building up to the, uh, the August 13th release.
1: Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so when people that live outside of the U S they can go, where can they, they go to get they it? They have to
2: get it. They have to get it on Apple books is probably the best, um, digital, uh, I mean, there, there's like 20 platforms We're on all of them, um, Kobo Tolino, um, bibliotech, uh, all those, and then all the educational ones in it and Amazon too, but uh, I don't push Amazon too much because they mandate higher prices. So, hmm. um, we're, we're Amazon's about, they own 80% of the book, book market, a digital book market. They only own 1% of ours. So we're, and we don't mind yeah. that and none physical. So they wouldn't let us do, um, they wouldn't let us do pre-orders on the, on the, uh, paperback. So we just did it ourselves. So yeah, we didn't put our paperback on there. Wow. Yeah. Behind me is actually our shipping center. You see all the books on the shelves there. Those are thousands yes. thousands. Of, I have books, stacks of books in here, man. We, we're, we sell like crazy. It's, it's um, had to bring on some people actually to help out with that. That's great. That's yeah. It, yeah. It's amazing.
1: <laughs> with, with the amount of success that you've just gotten in, in this, in this short of time. Yep. What, what does that do for you as not only a funder, to your project. Yep. But what does that also do to you as the
2: creator of your okay, project? Okay, well, actually, funny you should say that. So so initially I financed everything myself. Now we're at the point where chapter one's funding chapter three, wow, chapter two will show chapter oh, five. So that's amazing. Completely self-sufficient. But at the same time, the trajectory we have, I'm thinking I might be able to produce a pilot or even a, a short film, you know, high-end short film. With the revenues from yeah I mean it's so the cool thing about digital we're selling them at anywhere from 99 cents to 299, but we have no overhead in that just from a business perspective. Now the paperbacks obviously, you know, um, the problem now we're shipping we're uh, printing in the US and overseas the problem with the overseas is it takes so long now to get these things it take it's like 12 weeks to get the first chapter from overseas you know you can yeah. print high volume at a lower cost but the but man i mean things right now are so hard so ultimately that'll improve and we'll be able to keep up with demand now once we get international distribution i mean geez, i mean you know the sky's the limit there so yeah. so no. you know so i am not opposed to um putting together my own feature you know of course you're talking big money or maybe a a um i'm very lucky that i have some other financial resources too but but you know maybe a pilot or maybe a a limited series or something like that that we could shop around and and own the whole thing wow man that's i'm telling you to hear
1: like and obviously just meeting you i am super i'm super impressed and i'm very happy congratulations on all your success
2: Yeah. Thanks, man. You know, and a lot of people think, Oh, it's overnight success. Like I said, 12 years, man, 12 years I've been doing this, you know? Um, so, but we, but we did launch eight weeks ago. Well, we launched August 13th. So we're coming up on three months, but yeah, the trajectory now I, I, you know, I'm a marketing guy, that's my background, um, corporate wise. So, so I had the knowledge to, to start the start the, uh, the momentum early. So in June, June, May, June, we started really announcing and that's how we built up so many, um, so many. I think we had 17,000 pre-orders of the paperback uh, in English, oh. 16,000. And, and that's another thing. Another thing that surprised me about this industry is how adamant people are about getting the paperback. You know, the digitals are doing really well, but yeah. every every single person that bought the digital is still reaching out, like, "Hey, when can I get the paperback?" And domestically, U.S. and Canada, they can. And another thing that's happened that blew my mind is I have people buying in 15, 20, 50, 100 books, and. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. A lot of them. Um, one guy specifically runs some kind of academy for kids. He bought one for everybody in his in his uh, in his uh, group. Uh, another a teacher bought one for every classmate. And in Los Angeles, and then um, and then somebody else. Oh, another teacher bought one for all of the libraries in her school district. It's crazy. Ooh. Yeah, so of course I I help them out with, you know, some discounts and did some autograph copies for giveaways and stuff like that. So yeah, so that's that's that. So we're so lucky. And I think it's a combination of it's a great project, but at the same time, there's so many educational elements to it that people really, yeah. you know, it appeals to that, that academic environment too, where people are like, yeah. wow, people, most people don't. And I didn't know, I mean, I've heard of the Aztecs, you know, before researching and, and I, 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 but I didn't know their language. I didn't know what they were all about. I just heard oh, they cut people's heads off and you know, that's, that's, that's the yeah. narrative we've always been told. Yeah. And, um, and so I'm so grateful that, uh, that I found this and, found something that just happened to be very timely. And again, I'm not sure if I did release it in 2009, it would have had the same the same momentum. But we're, yeah. you know, like you said, sometimes things happen at the right time and, and they're meant to be.
1: Yeah, yeah. Man, oh man, I'm just, I'm blown away because yeah, every everybody we talk to, and see, that's the funny thing is, you know, with creatives, you start way back when and yeah. we catch you guys, we talk to you guys. Yeah. And right the at end. the yeah at the end not quite at the pinnacle obviously with you you're just beginning your your second chapter of of this process right may feel like the 40 chapter
2: who knows i I don't know actually i have so i have 24 written just in that original um yeah that original content you know i'm changing things to be a little more timely but um but, but you know, little tweaks here and there to make things a little more modernized. I mean, when I wrote these in 2009, social media didn't even exist. you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, and then in in chapter two, we actually reference social media because what happens is the group. so by the way, that launches in three days on, on November 12th. Oh. Um, so so what happens in chapter two is they they um, they get allies because again, same narrative as any is any superhero they destroyed a bunch of stuff in chapter one some people are skeptical what are these people's intentions who are they where they come from and they find an ally in a podcaster cool. um, and yeah and so 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 we had to reference their social media when when the podcaster does an interview with them an exclusive interview where they can air like their intentions with society and what their goals are, and he becomes kind of like uh, you know an, an advocate for them, and and, right. and you know he vets them a little bit, and so yeah, so we had to reference social media, but when I wrote this, I mean in two thousand nine, I don't I don't think anything existed, you wow. know that that that, you, that we could have referenced, That's and if we did, it would have been MySpace, and that would have been a horribly dated. Right. Oh yeah, <laughs> right.
1: right. <laughs> you go back to look at it, you go. Why did I write yeah, about yeah, exactly?
2: <laughs> Why? Yeah, you know that's why I always said uh, that's another thing in my films. I never reference pop culture in my films in my screenplays no. because ultimately they become dated, you know. And then and you exactly. can watch some of these. You watch some films now and they're cringeworthy because of the horrible references. You know what I mean. And 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 another thing is. If you watch, say a 12-year-old watches a, a movie today and they reference MySpace, they will have absolutely no context. Yeah. Like, what does that even mean? You know what I mean? So I, I, I try to avoid all that. But some people really embrace it and use it. And so even some major, major uh, directors and a couple I can think of right now, they really emphasize and i guess maybe they're just thinking like it'll be successful today and tomorrow and in two years they don't care about the future but i like to me the way i look at it is i'm going to die in 30 years all of this stuff will be be left behind as a legacy and i want people to be able to enjoy it just just uh like they do like they do today you know
1: yeah Hmm. yeah um i was going to ask about the educational part yeah do you have anything at the beginning of of each chapter talking about the
2: history so the foreword in chapter one explains the entire history of the aztec culture Mm that yeah and believe it or not we fit it all on one page it's all in there from the origin to um to the time of our story and so it's a lead-in almost like uh the beginning of star wars when they have the scrolling it's ironically i didn't even think of this but it's black background with white with white lettering
1: it's it's almost
2: looks identical to that and um and so it's the same situation where it says, you know, here's where they started, and then and then and then and then it leads in the last sentence leads into the second page, which is opening on the battlefield uh, with the Spanish. So so yeah, so oh. absolutely we do that. And then um, so what we also do is we do new character introductions at the beginning of each chapter, and then in chapter two, for example, we put um, two pages in there. Showing the weaponry of the Aztecs, what their preferred weapons were, and and our artists, you know, write out, draw all that stuff. So, so yeah, again, we're trying to make it educational as well as entertaining. And honestly, the educational stuff to me is just as entertaining as the as the fictional stuff. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's. I mean, to be able to go and and just to research and learn about all the stuff. I mean, you know, because as as a creative you do want to kind of do research and, and yeah. learn. I know Eric, he researches yeah. stuff all the time.
2: Oh, yeah. And
1: just the amount of knowledge that that I can only imagine that that you know. Yeah. about the Aztecs. Um was there? and obviously it sounded like it was was it surprising to hear some of the stuff?
2: Oh, completely because again, I've always been fed the narrative of angry savages cutting people's heads off and and you know um but then i I didn't know i was like wow they had they had a zoo i mean who had a zoo and that's crazy a zoo they had um they had aqueduct system and systems of agriculture like canals like we i'm in florida we have canals here these guys did this 500 years ago i mean the the way it's uh, unbelievable the irrigation systems the um their the the mechanics of the weaponry all the weapons that they have were were unique to their you know the maya had used a little bit uh similar things but but they created these unique weapons i mean they created um hierarchies in the military there's different types of warriors there's jaguar warriors eagle warriors different different you know uh, uh, rank structure and all of this was organic to them the, they weren't a society that had any frame of reference from somewhere else yeah not They hadn't been a part of another culture. They started their own culture and all of these things happened organically. And and again, um, the understanding of the calendar and and planting seasons and hunting, it's unbelievable. But culturally, I think, is what, you know, uh, even in, say, London, you know, coexisted at the same time. In London, a woman couldn't be a warrior. A woman couldn't oh, yeah. be a soldier. A woman couldn't be a business owner. That was, forget about it. I mean, a woman was supposed to sweep and mop and cook food. I mean, so, so in many ways, culturally, they were far advanced above, above Europe at the time. Wow. And, and larger too, they had grown their capital city to be several hundred thousand people. And, and again, built on an island that they built in the middle of a massive lake. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. That's
1: unbelievable. Yep. And, and one thing that, that you had mentioned, I mean, my God, I could ask
2: so many freaking <laughs>
1: questions um, about uh, they wanted to, to do, to be sacrificed.
2: Yep. It was considered an honor. And again, this is how sometimes um, theology or, or religion can get really distorted and warped over generations. Um, most not maybe not all. So there were also um, what's called the Flower Wars where they would compete with other indigenous tribes and they would capture soldiers. The soldiers knew if they were captured, they were going to be sacrificed, but also internally when, hey, you know, it's time to sacrifice some people on this date, they had volunteers to do it. It was considered an honor. And um, so a lot of people have this, again, this presumption that, you know, they would just go out and snatch people off the street and cut right. their heads off and rip their hearts out. The vast majority were, were volunteers. And and again, very disturbing. Um, I don't deny that. In fact, we addressed that. So, so um, chapter two is actually called Redemption. And the reason it's called Redemption is because they acknowledge in chapter one the, the the vicious and you know savage nature of some of the things they were doing, but with Slaiposly when he addresses them and says you're going to withdraw into um to Miklan to to redeem yourselves, he addresses all these things like you did this this and this and this and and you manifested my existence to justify your violence. And then he basically says, I'm gone. After this conversation, you'll never hear from me again. Wow, you have wow. no God of war to justify a human sacrifice. It's, it's over. So he strips them of all their theology, sets them in there to create their own path. And he gives them a little bit of guidance. You know, and like, Um, there will be no hierarchy um, in your society because that led to corruption you know there will be no there will everything will be done basically a kind of a utopian society here's how you're going to live and it works it actually i'm revealing a lot of the the storyline it actually works so for 500 years now here's another crazy complexity and when you realize why this shouldn't be part of something else it's got to be its own thing he gave 13 people immortality five are warriors but eight are intellectuals. So his philosophy is when you emerge on the 500th year anniversary, you have to have the knowledge to bring to the world. They're gonna come to you for guidance. You need to know everything there is to know. So these eight intellectuals are immortals. They go out into the world for that first 500 years anonymously integrating into different societies, into different Chinese cultures, Indian cultures, American Indian cultures, US cultures, learning English and Spanish and Portuguese and Chinese and Russian. And so by the time they emerge in 500 years, They they are brilliant people. They have computers. They actually create the the vaccine for the Lassa virus, which, by the way, was being created by the Russian oligarch. So he was not only creating the vaccine, they couldn't figure out why they couldn't find a a suitable vaccine. It's because he was creating variants in a lab. And that's what they destroyed in chapter one that got the media skeptical about their intentions. So, um, so, so, so they, they bring this knowledge back to the underworld, but the thing is they live just like they did in the 16th century. They have to get up at 6 AM. They have to farm the fields, you know, but, but they have this knowledge. It's almost like if you're, a primitive person, but you have access to a library. Or if you, when you you want to go research, you can go get on a computer and learn how to use a computer. They obviously don't have Wi-Fi because they're in the underworld, but but they understand the technology. So when they emerge in 2021, everything's not new to them. They, they already have a grasp. In fact, one of the underlying things is that um Amash Lee, our lead warrior, is, is a big fan of pop culture and like Happy Days and all these different shows. <laughs> he uses these horrible... Um, horrible puns, you know, you know, uh, go big or go home, he liked that one. So he uses that all the time. So yeah, so a bit of a bit of comedic element to it as well. But um, so yeah, so by the time now keep in mind, everybody else in in the culture is immortal. So only the immortals emerge. So they have to keep this gender this teaching, they can't just teach people and then say, Oh, I'm not going to do it anymore every generation for 500 years, they have to teach new generations. And wow. each generation becomes subsequently stronger and smarter and more adaptable and better fighters. And keep in mind, of course, this is a, this is a superhero series, so they have to kick ass. But okay. at the end of the day, the big difference between our story and that's, I didn't wanna go out and recreate create 500 pound mutants. And all. I mean, that's such a cliche that's been overdone. Our characters, the first step in every conflict is diplomacy. So they approach uh, Volkov and say, hey, look, we know you own the vaccine. We want you to make money. You're a businessman. Let's work out a way. And then, of course, he refuses. He's arrogant. They got to kick his ass and blow up all his facility, right? But (laughs) but at the end of the day, but we're still teaching people that there should be an approach to conflict. It's not just kill this guy. You know, it's it's um, so... So he's a recurring villain um, and he's a, a Russian oligarch and he's into a lot of bad stuff. And so obviously he, you know, just like any superhero story, it's got to be this one bad guy, but there are others that we introduce. but at the end of the day, he he's, he's the number one guy and, and he's the fear and he has a big organization. And, and when a lot of people ask me, well, why do you pick a Russian? That's uh, that's kind of cliche. And it's actually not. The reason Russian oligarchs are so feared is that you can't name another another type of criminal in the world that has the backing of a, of a state. I mean, they have state You're funding. Awesome. You know, I mean, these are dangerous, dangerous people. And a lot of people don't understand how influential they are, even in today's society. I mean, the Russian oligarchs are dangerous, dangerous people. And, and again, it's a handful of people with pretty large reach that um, can do a lot of bad things. And, and the, they're the ones involved in all this hacking and computer um, hacking and ransomware. I mean, so they can be very devastating. So of course, you know, I could have picked some, you know, some other nationality, but I think right now it's kind of timely that, that today I hope people also become aware, understand what, what is an oligarch and what, what danger do they pose to our society? Cause it, it's a serious threat. Wow. That's amazing.
1: Oh. Um, uh, before we wrap up, I promise, I promise, I promise how much how much of your military background did you good use, question. if any, in in helping not necessarily create it, but come up with the storylines?
2: Well, you know, that's funny. So um, a lot of people, I've had people approach me and go, Oh man, you know, so-and-so would have been a good paratrooper like you. He's crazy. And I'm like, no, 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 that people misunderstand what the military is. So probably my approach to, rational problem solving and, and diplomacy comes from my military background war is never the first approach ever i mean you even in in a conflict you you don't want um you don't want to have to resort to that so i did create that these warriors are super capable of major destruction but at the end of the day that's that's a very um lazy just like in the war let's so let's say you're in afghanistan 10 years ago and you find out um some guy is collaborating with somebody else, some terror cell, you know, you you don't just go blow up the house because if nothing else, when you do that, you lose the intelligence that you could have gathered by Mm. working with the guy. And you know what I mean? So, so to me, I, I guess part of the, um, misunderstanding people have that have never been in the military is it's not just about breaking stuff and blowing up things it's about it's about diplomacy and creating better societies. so um you know i did i did serve in combat but i always tell people the two most fulfilling things i ever did was my two tours in haiti where we were we were um humanitarians essentially and again that's a political discussion about whether military should be used for humanitarian purposes but in the case that we went in when Um, When the country was overthrown by a military dictator, it was, it was an essential um, insertion. And we did end up in a, you know, um, non-combative humanitarian role. And so, so there's much, much more to the military and the same thing with these warriors. It's not about just killing people. And I think that's um, I think people are tired of that. I think, I think people are fatigued by the same old, um, you know, comic book, the same old superhero film of, you know, these 500 pound mutants that can barely speak. And they're just, you know, it's, it's absurd. And, and that's our characters. We try to be much more intellectual. We try to appeal to a different demographic of people that, that can relate to them almost as if this were just a, you know, a, a dramatic, a dramatic film or a novel.
1: Well, David Towner, you yeah. are an absolute genius. Wow.
2: You, Thanks, you
1: <laughs> really are. And, and I mean, just, creatively speaking everything that that you have set out to do that we have talked about today you've done it i mean you've you've written a movie you 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 made the movie it's it's well received right um and now you have aztec warrior god and it's an absolute it's okay this is just me it sounds like an absolute masterpiece.
2: Oh, thanks, man!
1: the the way the yeah. way you you've set it up, the way you've visualized how not just today, but how it's going to look ten years down the road. Right. This yeah. whole package, yep. it's like a whole thing, and I'm just I'm super. Uh, my mind is blown.
2: Wow! Thanks, yeah. man. I appreciate it. it means Absolutely.
1: Uh, and and uh, okay, here's another crazy question. Uh are you able to like do autographs of the book and stuff? Oh, you know
2: what? Um, yeah. So actually I, I, I should mention this. So in February we had something planned for November for the, to coincide with the release in February, we have two events coming up. One of them is a red carpet event slash, um, geez, let me think how to, it's a banquet. And what we're doing is we're looking for new artists. We're looking for new writers. Oh. Um, I really want to start expanding into get, I want some female writers. I want some, um, Indigenous people. I'm looking for people that can help me um, craft additional storylines, but also tweak the ones to to start featuring more of our um, female characters. And I like to have a a woman on board to do that. But also, the big push uh, for February is we're going to start a contest in December for people to submit their work and it's not a contest where we're going to judge people, but it's a contest just to make sure what we're looking for is that they're the right fit for us. You know what I mean? And we're going to have, we're going to have cash prizes to, to, you know, um, to make sure it's worth people's time. And also what we're going to do is at that banquet in February, we're going to invite the top artists to come in and we're going to um, put their stuff on. This is going to be a really big event. I mean, it's on, on our website and, and it's really an invitation only. There are, there are some public tickets available, but it's really um, something we want to do to highlight. If nothing else, even if there's a good artist that may not be a good fit for what we're doing, we're still going to highlight and feature their art and let them come wow. into the banquet. We're going to have um, Aztec dance ceremonies. It's going to be an amazing event. That's February 18th. Now, February 19th, this is only for LA people, but February 19th, we're going to be at um, Emerald Emerald Knights Comics in Burbank doing a signing with me and all of our artists. We, oh. we couldn't get them here in November, which was what we're going to do. So now we're going to coincide it with the release of chapter three. So we'll be there February 19th, me and, and the artists will be there as well. And maybe our, I have a co-writer on uh, chapter three um so maybe he might be there as well uh, so right. so that's yeah so ultimately the goal now that things are opening up a little more we're going to get out and do some more we got a that's another thing we have so many invitations i mean i got a hundred um store owners in texas that want me to come you know a lot a lot yeah, obviously oh in a, in certain markets it's more popular so um, yeah. la is a big one but we got a lot of a lot of people anxious to to um to even, you know, just to talk like we are, you know, people want to know like, wow, how did this come to be people are really interested in stuff like that. And it's really an honor for me that people are that interested. So starting in February, we're going to be out there and maybe before, but we'll put everything on our event schedule on our Facebook page, which is um, at Aztec Warrior God. And that's where people can also see our artwork, storyline, background, who, who's involved in the project and, and, and um, <clears throat> all of our, our uh, announcements are on there as well. Okay. Man,
1: just like Frank Sinatra said, the best is yet to come. That's I strange. tell you what, yep, we're just
2: getting started, man.
1: Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yep. David. It this has been an honor to think, be able to talk
2: to you. It was Thank so you.
1: much fun. Thank, Thank you. you, and man, I, I I ask a lot of questions.
2: <laughs> yeah, hey, part two.
1: That's, yeah. right. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's right. Um. But uh, anytime you want to come back on, anytime Thanks, you man. want to to talk about anything or sure. you've got some kind of a major event, like, yeah, yeah. I don't know, February, March, yeah. anywhere, you can absolutely come back on and let's talk about it.
2: All let's right, buddy. Thanks, man. It. I appreciate you guys so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. So well, everybody,
1: we just want to thank
0: David one more time for coming on the show today. The links where you can check out all of his stuff, like I said will be in the description if you're listening in on anchor. And if you're listening in somewhere else, all of this stuff will be on our social medias. David, thanks again for coming on. And like we always say here on the show, everybody, remember,
1: especially in this day and age, be excellent to each other.